Well, you'll hear quickly that Satan was doing everything he could to keep me from talking this week. Sorry, he lost. I'm here. If you're new today, we've been in a series called Spiritual Warfare, The Invisible War. We've been talking about a... Uh, all kinds of armor that God gives us to put on, metaphorically speaking. Uh, we've learned so far that, that we need to open our eyes. There's actually an invisible world out there. There's a, a battle going on out there. And like it or not, we've been enlisted into that battle. We've been told on, to put on the, the uh, belt of truth around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel on our feet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now today, the message brings us to special forces, and that's in the area of prayer. Prayer is essential in this invisible war for individuals as well as a whole church. Martin Luther said, prayer is the mightiest of all weapons that created natures can wield. Let's look at the passage of Scripture today. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. It says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whatever, whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly take the known make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He's in jail writing this. This is the Apostle Paul. First, I want to talk to you about this prayer thing and how it can be the missing ingredient. Very important part, but somehow it ends up being missing. Uh, William... Gernal said, we must not confide in the armor of God, but in the God of this armor, because all our weapons are only mighty through God. I want to read something out of a book by Chip Ingram. Let me get ready here. How do I look? Sophisticated? <laughs> Chip Ingram is writing a book here. He wrote a book all about spiritual warfare, and I just want to What's your appetite with this? The missionary was serving as a medic in Africa. Periodically, he had to travel by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. It was a two-day trip, so he would camp in the jungle overnight. He had always made the trip without incident, but one day when he arrived in the city, he saw two men fighting. One was seriously hurt, so he treated the man shared Christ with him, and went on his way. The next time the missionary traveled to the city, the man he had treated approached him. I know you carry money and medicine, the man said to the missionary. Some friends and I followed you into the jungle that night after you treated me, knowing you'd have to sleep in the jungle alone. We waited for you to go to sleep, planning to kill you and take your money and drugs. As we started to move into the campsite, we saw 26 armed guards surrounding you. There were only six of us, so we knew we couldn't possibly get near, and we left. 
When he heard this, the missionary laughed. That's impossible. I assure you I was alone in the campsite. But the young man pressed the point. No, sir, I wasn't the only one who saw the guards. My friends saw them too, and we all counted them, 26. Several months later, the missionary attended the home church in Michigan, where he came from, and told his experience. A man in the congregation interrupted his presentation by jumping to his feet and saying something that left everyone in the church stunned. With a firm voice, he said, we were with you in spirit. The missionary looked perplexed. The man continued, on that night in Africa, it was morning here. I stopped by the church to get some materials for a ministry trip. But as I was, uh, as I was putting my bags in the trunk, I felt the Lord leading me to pray for you. It was an extremely strong urge. So I got on the phone and gathered some other men to come to the church and pray for you. Then the man turned to the rest of the congregation. Will all of those men who prayed with me on that day stand up right now? And one by one they stood up, all 26 of them. Now, as fascinating as that story is, still the weapon of prayer is the most neglected. I'll bet some of you here today never even considered calling prayer a weapon, but it is. The Greek word, the Greek language here is interesting. There really is no break between verses 17 and 18. So it could read, Take the sword of the Spirit with prayer in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. In other words, we are to wear spiritual armor with all kinds of prayers. It all goes together. When we use the weapon of prayer and link it up to God's Spirit, it does supernatural things. God does supernatural things. We may not understand how this works, but we don't need to understand every commandment of God before we obey it. We don't understand everything, but we do know that he tells us to pray. Jesus taught about this weapon when his disciples were trying to cast out a demon once. They couldn't do it, so they asked Jesus what the problem was. Jesus said, only prayer can force out that kind of demon. Another example was when Jesus told Peter that Satan asked to sift him, to test him out. And Jesus didn't say, I whacked him up against the head, side of the head and got him out of there. No, he said, I prayed for you. Powerful weapon. Prayer was not a missing ingredient in the first century church. When Jesus ascended into heaven and the, the people were there waiting for his return, for his spirit to come, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. When they started their regular church services and their home groups, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The first time there was a little rift in the church and some people were being neglected, the apostles got some men together full of the Spirit, let them handle the situation so they, the apostles, could continue in prayer. When God gave Peter a vision that 
the, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ was going to extend from the Jews out to the Gentiles, that happened during Peter's prayer. And this pattern continues throughout the Bible. Whenever God's supernatural power shows up, you can bet that somebody somewhere is praying. And not just an ordinary prayer, not just a monotone little prayer for dinner or something like that. Paul is talking about a specific kind of prayer. And and he gives us characteristics. Here's three characteristics of this kind of prayer. First, it's consistent, consistent prayer. Now, to be consistently praying, not like Chachi up here, but to really do that, you need all kinds of prayers, different types of prayers. That's why it says pray with all kinds of prayers because sometimes kneeling on your knees, bowing your head and closing your eyes doesn't work like when you're driving. It's not going to work out too well. So you need to pray a different way then, all kinds of prayers. When we pray, when we pray consistently, we start to see some very surprising things. Bayshore Church in Tampa, Florida, where Terry and I were from, they're they're a great illustration, great proof of this, because this church was one of those churches that just taught us, that just created an environment where you just prayed anytime for anything, anywhere. You know, nobody ever said, well, I'll pray about that when I go home tonight. They just prayed right there. It was a great atmosphere to grow up in. Well, I led this mission trip from Bayshore to uh, Guatemala. And uh, we were, one of our visits was to go to this remote village of natives across Lake Atitlan. Beautiful lake, very deep, just blue, crystal clear water, three volcanoes surrounding it. And on our way across the lake, four of us had this strong urge to pray. We, we felt like, you know, somebody doesn't want us going to, to share good news and to pray with these people, this remote little village. And uh, we just felt impressed to pray. So we started praying. That's what we knew. We were all from Bayshore. So we started praying and binding up demons and this and that and all that kind of stuff. And then we ended with a big amen, sat back and enjoyed the rest of the boat ride. Well, when we got to the village, the natives quickly rushed us to this hut where there was a man who couldn't see out of one eye. Now, I got there a little bit behind everybody else, so I was kind of peeking through the crowd. What I could tell was this guy had an eye that was swollen shut, and I mean, it was nasty looking. You got to understand, I'm not good with this kind of stuff, so it was really nasty looking to me. There was stuff oozing out of it, and it wasn't clear. Um, One of our guys was a paramedic, and he, uh, he was carrying some saline solution in his bag, and he pulled the eyelid up, to squirt some saline solution. And the part that's supposed to be white, I'm a little bit closer now, you know. I'm curious. I'm not doing too well, but I'm curious. I'm looking, and the white part was black. It was supposed to be white. I mean, I almost passed out when I saw that. You can tell I wouldn't be good in the medical field. Anyway, he put a few drops in the eye, and now, you know what saline solution is? Yeah, it's salty water, isn't it? 
not even very salty. So he puts that in there in within two minutes, probably less than two minutes. The swelling went down. He opened up his eye. It was crystal clear. His sight was completely restored. And I saw this right before my eyes. Now, I tell you this story to point out that Bashor had taught us to pray consistently. We felt something, we prayed. We didn't say, well, I hope the people back in Tampa are praying for us. We just did it. It was second nature to us. And that was a wow moment I will never forget. Consistent prayer. Another type of, another characteristic of this prayer is intense prayer. Our passage instructs us here to be alert. It says, be alert. And this was something else God helped us with on that trip across the lake because we sensed opposition to where we were going. So we just got intense about the prayer, about what could happen. You know, we thought, gosh, anything could happen. We don't know these people. We don't even speak their language. What's going to happen? We had no idea what lay ahead. But we knew the way to fight back was to pray. We could have opened our Bibles to study about missionary trips. And maybe the demons would have come to attention. But I'm telling you, when we prayed, they were shuddering. And a battle was won that day. Another characteristic is that this is a strategic prayer. Paul says, pray for all the saints. That would be the believers and the people the workers of the good news, the gospel. Then he asked to pray for himself. So many of our prayers are, Lord, help me with my family. Help me with my finances. Help me, 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 me. And really all those prayers are doing, if we're honest, is trying to make our life a little bit easier, a little more comfortable. But strategic prayer goes beyond that. It's praying that God's kingdom would be advanced, that something would happen outside my little world. There's a big difference between praying for a a good parking place at the mall and, Lord, send me out into the battlefield where I can do something and share the grace and love of Jesus Christ. S.D. Gordon said, Great people of the earth today are people who pray. I do not mean people who talk about prayer, nor say they believe in prayer, nor can explain prayer, but I mean those people who take time and pray. If you've ever wondered what the missing ingredient is in your walk with Christ, look here first. Prayer. Our spiritual warfare boot camp teaches us consistent, intense, and strategic prayer. And that will deliver us from the evil one. Let me talk a little bit about when the enemy gets a foothold. It's a word used in the Bible. This series has been about defending ourselves from the enemy, thwarting his frontal attacks, you know, even going after him in some cases. So we know how to keep him from getting in. But what about if he's already in? What if we've put the shield up a little bit too late? Disease prevention doesn't help much when the disease is already there. So what do we do when the enemy has a foothold in our lives? 
There is so much confusion, so much controversy about this stuff called deliverance ministries or casting out devils. There's so much junk about it that many people just avoid the topic altogether. They just don't want to have anything to do with it. But there is a balanced biblical biblical way to approach this, it doesn't take a seminary degree. It doesn't take some weird, extreme thing to make it work. So what about the validity of this thing? The validity of deliverance ministry, if you will. There is a sound, legitimate case for it in Scripture. Jesus, on a regular basis, implemented this ministry. If our goal in becoming Christ followers is to be transformed into his image, where does that leave us? If you think this is a ministry unique to Jesus, think again. There was one time when Jesus sent out the 12 apostles to drive out demons. That was what they were supposed to do. Later, he sent a whole gang out, two by two, And the Bible says that the 72, 72 of them returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, there's an argument that this was a privilege for only the 12, only the apostles. But we already saw there's 72 here. People say that's not for regular believers. It was from those guys. But deliverance was a normal practice in this place called Ephesus. Normal practice then, and it went on for four centuries. It was recorded. This stuff is an important part of church history. But there are problems with it. Even though it's valid, there are quite a few problems. Like my throat. We get much of our negative impressions from the antics we see on TV. Lots of it. But there's no need for this extreme fanaticism. No need at all. Let's face it. Some of the TV programs, including Christian ones, stay on the air because of their extremism. People like to see that stuff. But it can cause people to dismiss the seriousness of deliverance altogether. There was a... A woman, I just told somebody this the other day. We had an elderly couple at Church Bayshore in Tampa, and uh, they were the senior adult pastors. And uh, Joy Dias was her name. She was just the sweetest lady, just soft-spoken. Everything was, you know, like this. She was just so sweet. And and, uh, we had another couple who did some of this deliverance ministry, and they were kind of into the... Oh, yeah, the coffee table went up against the wall and, you know, all this dramatic stuff and, and joy so sweet. She goes, you know, Gary, Gary was the guy talking, you know, Gary, you don't have to put up with those antics from the devil. You just tell him to shut up, you know. <laughs> you had to see her do it. You don't need extreme fanaticism. Another problem is this confusion over demon possession. Being possessed. You know, can a Christian be possessed or are they only oppressed? Well, the fact is, the Greek never uses those words, possession or oppression. The verb used means to be demonized. 
to just be messed with by the devil. That's the word. Another problem common to casting out evil spirits is this, this idea that, well, this, this fact that the people involved are tempted by pride as if it was their power or their, their gift. I showed you a passage about Jesus having the, the people come back and they were all saying, oh, the demons fled in your name, Jesus. We cast them out. They submitted to us. And Jesus didn't join in with their bragging. He didn't slap them on the back and say, good job. No, he said, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He wanted them to remain humble, to keep the main thing the main thing. One more problem is when we move away from Scripture. I've heard the craziest ideas people have about this world of demons. And most of the time, it's because they get their ideas anywhere from the, but from the Bible. Some will even tell you that they know what a demon or Satan is like because they spoke with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm going to listen to the father of lies. Not a very good source of information. If we stick to Scripture, we'll stay on track. Now, just because we clear up some problem areas, I don't mean to suggest that we should all go out and start a new exorcism ministry. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) That's for a select few, and they know who they are. What most of us should be more concerned about is the cause of demonic influence. What are the causes? Well, sin is one of them. It's the most common pathway for demonic influence. Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Well, sin puts us in chains, and we are supposed to be free from chains. We're not supposed to be in bondage. Another cause is spiritual rebellion. Now, this is different than just sinning. It's not just sinning by mistake. We can sin by accident sometimes. But this is when we deliberately, willingly sin. This is the Adam and Eve thing. They knew exactly what they were not supposed to do, and they did it anyway. Now, a lot of us think, well, rebellion, you know. I'm a rebel at heart. We don't think of it as that bad, you know. Listen to what the Bible says. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. You know how we are. Oh, I'm just a rebel. Oh, I'm just a stubborn type. You don't ever hear anybody say, oh, I'm just kind of a witchcraft type of person. (laughs) You know, the Bible says it's pretty much the same thing. Dabbling in the occult, that's another issue. Now, this can be very innocent, like seances, astrological projections, Ouija boards, that stuff. But innocence isn't the issue. A child can strike a match in complete innocence, and there's still a flame. The issue is actively seeking situations, seeking those situations over and over that don't have anything to do with our position in Christ. And the Bible tells us, what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light 
have with darkness. Now, here's a real practical one. Anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness. Many Christians aren't aware that unresolved feelings like this open the door to demons. We're told to stay, don't, don't stay angry. It's okay to be angry, but we're told don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. You have those feelings and you don't resolve them, stuff starts happening. He loves that. There are many causes for demonic influence, but let's move on to something even more important, and that's how to find freedom from all that. How do we get freed up from that? I've already had people during this series tell me that the the biblical principles just confirm what they've already known, what they've suspected. Defining and diagnosing this invisible stuff is one thing, but that's just the first few steps. The biggest question people have is, what do I do about it? How do I get free from this? Well, let me remind you, first of all, about this victory. We have the victory that Jesus won. The victory was won at the cross. Jesus made a spectacle of all the demons when he died on the cross and beat them. It's, victory is in the name of Jesus. That name, Jesus, at that name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he's Lord. That includes the demons. And the victory is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You should know this verse by now. Is it up there? Let's read it together. God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. You better have that one memorized pretty soon. I've run it in the ground through this whole series. So what are some biblical steps to deliverance? First and biggest, accept Christ. We've got to accept Christ. To as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the authority, the power, the privilege, the right to become the children of God. Do you think God's going to let any of his kids be run over by the devil? But if you've never accepted Jesus as your forgiver and as your leader, you don't have the protection of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what happens when we ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and come into our lives. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us. There was a story in the Bible, there is a story in the Bible about a group of Jewish guys who thought, hey, let's, let's do some of this casting out stuff. We've seen Jesus do it, let's go try it. So they were going from town to town casting out demons in Jesus' name. And uh, they came across this one guy who was demonized, and uh, the guy goes, hey, I know Paul, and I know Jesus, but who are you? And it says that this guy, this single guy with a demon, beat the holy you-know-what out of these guys, the whole bunch of them, so badly that they were all bruised up and naked, running away. See, it's not a good idea to try to tackle the devil on your own without the power of the Holy Spirit. You must accept Christ first. Another way to deal with this is repent of known sin. We said that's a cause of demonic influence, but look at this. If we admit our sins 
He won't let us down. God will forgive our sins, purge us of all wrongdoing. We need to destroy occult objects. It sounds kind of weird. Sounds like, you know, something that happens in Haiti. But back in the, the first century, there were a bunch of people coming to the Lord and learning about the truth of Jesus Christ, and they realized their magic wasn't the thing to be worshiping anymore, wasn't the thing to be doing anymore. So they bring all their magic books, and it says that it, the, all this paraphernalia totaled 50,000 days of pay. They got rid of it. We need to break ungodly, destructive relationships. Now, sometimes we have relationships with people that we know are, you know, a little bit out there. They're far from God. We, we don't need to just ignore them. We can still try to minister to them. But, but by breaking the relationship, I mean, you can't use those people for your spiritual advice, for your godly wisdom. There needs to be a healthy separation from that evil. We've learned this, that we can resist the devil. We can resist him. The Bible says, be subject to God or submit to God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Watch this video clip. Well, hello, Satan. Grab your shawl. Oh, no. Every time. Wish I could say it was good to see you, but I can't. Feelings mutual, so we're good. Can you get rid of that cookie? You know we're fasting for one. You, I'm one sorry, you want to go halfsies on this? No, no. You're fasting? No. I had no idea. You know what I'm going to say to you? I know, get thee behind me or something like that. I was curious, when it comes to the church, mm -hmm. what, what's your strategy? I'm growing to like the church, honestly. Uh, you know, they, they stay mad at each other half the time. They hate each other. They hate the rest of the world. So, I mean, I sit back and watch the fights like everybody else. You know what I'm talking about? So you're pretty good at division in the church. H how is it that you pull this off? One of the easiest ways is to make somebody just think that they're right, that they're completely and totally right. How about music? Uh, music. The music's too loud. Do I have five people singing? Can we really play secular music in the church? Satan, have you ever been to a church board meeting? Absolutely. I go... Every Tuesday. If you've never seen a deacon just straight up cuss in the middle of church at another deacon, it's, it's a sight to behold. So what does it do to you when believers do come together? Well, I don't know if you've ever been kicked out of a club when the club's just going off and there's a great DJ and drinks are half price, but it's the same feeling, you know? As long as I can keep denominations talking about what makes them them and what they believe and what those other people believe, you know, they're not talking about the J, the J guy. Jesus. Okay, I'm going to warn you once. Uh, if you say that again, I'm going to leave. Because I, I, you know. So when I say you Jesus, just, you can't take no. it? You know what? No, turn that camera off. That's it. Hey, where are you going? No, that's it. That's hey. It. Hey, Satan, you forgot your cookie. Eat it, Craig. The key to that verse is submitting to God. And you see, he's got to flee. There's a lot of reality in that little clip there. Another thing to do is renew your mind. Change your thinking, that helmet of salvation. Another thing, pray with others. Link up those shields together. Pray with others. And if necessary, but only if necessary, exercise. And I don't mean jumping jacks. Exercise. I don't mean jumping jacks, but I also don't mean weirdness. I do not mean weirdness. 
exorcism or casting out demons is not the domain of horror films. It's a New Testament practice. Who should do exorcism? Well, for starters, people filled with the Spirit of God and wearing the armor of God. They should know the Word of God. They should be supported by the prayers of other believers. Any true Christ follower can do this. There may be occasions when a person needs an experienced counselor, and there are ministries that help with that. But the New Testament makes it clear that regular, ordinary believers with the authority of Christ using the weapon of prayer along with the other weapons can destroy, can demolish demonic attacks. It doesn't take a highly specialized super saint. It takes courageous believers who know who they are in Christ. It takes people who understand that our foe is formidable, but he's not to be feared. It takes people who use the power and authority of Christ that he gave us under that grace and with the armor of God. And when we come against demonic powers in the name of Jesus, he must flee. He must hightail it. So how do we conclude this thing? Three things. First, assess the quality and quantity of your prayer life. What's your prayer life like? Is the only time you pray when you lay down and go to bed or when you get ready to eat a meal? Is that the only time you pray? Assess that. Second thing, make sure your prayers are well-rounded. Make sure they're not just selfish me, me, me prayers. Ask God to make you spiritually sensitive, sensitive to any demonic influences and, and ask him to give you the wisdom to know what to do How should you be involved? (coughs) Keep praying. (coughs) But be persistent. Persistent in these prayers. Be encouraged that God will give you understanding. Oh, and by the way, have you read the last chapter? We win. Okay, I'm going to do something, hopefully. I'll be right with you. I'm telling you, he's done everything he can to keep me from singing this song, and he's going to lose. I felt really impressed to, to end this series with this song because this is not a series, I'm sure you'll agree, where we're going to walk out of here today going, oh, boy, we get to go fight demons, right? 
I'm sick and tired of fighting them through this series. I, I was a glutton for punishment to even do it. My dog almost died last week. I felt like I was dying this week. And there were all kinds of little things, big things. I've heard them from you guys. We're enlisted in a war, which means we're soldiers. And I'm telling you, soldiers get beat up. So I don't want to walk out of here like this is just some big cheerleading series to go fight devils. I want us to walk out of here knowing that Jesus Christ walks through everything with us. And when we're beat up, he's still with us. When you are a soldier, I will be your shield. I will go with you into the battlefield. And when the arrows start to fly, Take my hand and hold on tight I will be your shield When you are a soldier When you're tired from running cheer you on Look beside you and you'll see you're not alone And when all of your strength is gone I'll carry you until you're strong I will be your shield when you are a soldier. I will be the one you can cry your songs to. share your tears and when you are surrounded and the enemy is closing in I will fight with you to the end When you're lost in darkness I will hold the light And I will help you find your way Through the night And I'll remind you of the truth 
belt of truth Keep the flames alive in you Cause I will be your shield Yes, I will be your shield of faith When you are a soldier Every time you are a soldier Let me pray for us before we go. God, I just say thanks. I just say thanks for being our mighty warrior. What a general we have. Lord, we can go into anything knowing you're with us, you're ahead of us, you're behind us, you're around us. You put warring angels around us. You protect us. And Lord, I just right now speak to any fear that this series could have caused in people. And I tell that fear to go in Jesus' name. Go. We aren't children of fear, but we're children of love and of a sound mind and power. And that power is your Holy Spirit in us. So as we leave here today, Lord, wounded as we may be, let us be encouraged that you're always with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And most of all, thank you, God. Because of you, we win in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you all.